0: We're going to start in a different way this morning. I'm going to ask Tina to come and read for us from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. If you have a Bible with you, open up to that. Would you John chapter 20? She's going to read the first 19 verses. Listen close.
1: Now, on the first day of the week. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her.
0: Pray with me one more time, will you? Father in heaven, we're going to ask you to give us great insight in this passage. There's a lot of teaching in it. There's a lot for us to learn. So I pray that you will open our hearts and open our minds, open our ears so that we can hear. We're asking that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend the next five weeks in that passage, so I hope that you'll keep it marked in your Bible somehow, maybe put a bookmark with it or a sticky note or something so that you'll come back to it over and over and over again with us. Like I said in that prayer, There's a lot of teaching in it, a lot of teaching, things that we need to hear, things that we need to learn, and things that we can learn to live. So I'm going to do my best to point those out to you, starting this morning, but we're going to take an interesting path to get there. I have to ask you, if you will, to allow me to be just a, a little bit morose as we get started today. Now, when I say a little bit, I mean really just a little bit. It won't last very long. Just hang with me. I was walking into the church one morning this past week, thinking about some folks in our congregation that are really struggling with some health issues. And unless the Lord intervenes, they will be with him very quickly. I wasn't sure how to pray for them and, and in the process of my uncertainty, I was a little bit discouraged. Just thinking, Lord, we've said goodbye to too many people lately, and I'm not sure I want to keep doing that. So I wasn't sure how to pray. That's what I mean by morose. It was just a little morose. And in the the midst of all of that, my mind quickly turned to a passage in the book of Psalms, 116th chapter. If you want to keep your finger there in John 20, turn with me to Psalm 116. Verse 15, it's a great verse. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now I say that's a great verse and I truly mean that is a great verse. But in order to get my head and my heart lined up on it, from time to time I have to be fairly theological in order to do that. And this is what I mean by that. I have to think through it in these terms. The death of every saint is a public declaration that the atoning work of Jesus on the cross was successful. It was not in vain. The atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross was successful. It was not in vain. And every time a believer dies, that declaration is made for everyone to see. I really like the way John Piper captures that idea. Take a look at this. The arrival of every saved saint in heaven is another trumpet tribute to the preciousness of Christ's life and death on this earth. And it is, it is. I picture it somewhat like this. A believer dies, and Jesus meets them right away, and as soon as he does, he grabs them by the arm and takes them into the throne room of God where his Father and our Father is sitting on the throne, and Jesus leads us up before that beautiful throne and turns to us and says, look in us right in the eye. We have been waiting for you. I know what it was like through your life and I know what it was like through your death. From this moment on, your joys will only increase. Your happiness will never disappear. Your worries are gone. Your pain is gone. Your struggles are gone. Welcome home. That's how I picture it. What a celebration. Precious in his sight are those who die in him. Yet as much as I know that, and theologically I can find the alignment that I need for my head and my heart, there are still struggles with it. There's still difficulty with it. Maybe that's not true for you, but it is for me. So as I was walking into the church thinking of the 116th Psalm and that verse that sits right in the middle of it, I decided to pull my Bible out and open up and just go back through the entire Psalm. And I am glad I did because it changed the course of the sermons for the next five weeks. We had laid something out, myself and Beth and Raina, as we were looking at where we were headed coming into Easter, and in one fell swoop, I turned it all upside down and decided to go different directions because God took me into Psalm 116. And I want you to see why. So let's just read the entire psalm together. It doesn't take very long. Here we go. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, the psalmist says. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. What a personal psalm. Incredibly personal psalm. Look at how it starts. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now from there, as you track your way through those few verses that we just read you will discover that the psalmist uses the word i me my or mine over 30 times in just that psalm just the words we read only those words 30 times i me my mine i love you lord because of what you have done for me Now, in order to get the perspective right, you have to understand what he's going through. During a time of peace and rest in his life, the psalmist came under attack from people that he believed to be his friends, and it was such an extreme attack that he didn't believe he was going to survive it. He didn't believe he was going to make it physically. He didn't believe he was going to make it. They were lying about him, bringing false accusation against him, and he thought that was the end. So he cried out to God. And God heard him and responded to him. And he did so in wonderful, miraculous ways. So much that it changed the psalmist's perspective. It changed his vision. And in in the process of seeing what all of these people close to him were doing, he saw what God had done for him. That's the power of the psalm. That's the power of bringing it all together in such a personal way. And if everything works the way I am hoping it will this morning, I want to connect Psalm 116 to John chapter 20 and bring out some teaching from both of them so that we can put it all together and see what God has done for us. And like I say, if it all works. So hopefully you're you're praying along with me that it will that our eyes are opened and our hearts are opened so that we can see something that will change our perspective. In order to do that, we have to start with the faith struggle that the psalmist was going through. It is palatable if you were looking for it. It starts in verse 10. Well, it actually starts again before that, but it kind of comes to a head in verse 10. Listen to what he writes. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Have you ever believed when you were greatly afflicted? Now think about the depth of that statement. You're struggling through all kinds of difficult things in life. You have an intricate belief in God, but you have a very personal understanding of the struggles that you're facing right now, and it almost wars against one another. Your belief and your affliction... In your flesh and your spirit, you have this ongoing battle where you want to say, I believe in God. I know who he is and I know what he can do for me. But the struggle is so intense in my flesh that I am having a hard time holding on to my belief. Anybody ever been there? Good deal. Thank you for raising your hands and being honest. That type of struggle is real. It leads to spiritual confusion. It can lead to intellectual confusion as well. When we see a battle like that raging within us, confusion is never far away. Now, I want to make sure that we're all reading from the same page on that. So let me define for you how I'm looking at the idea of confusion this morning. Here it is. Confusion occurs when a person has difficulty understanding a situation or has disordered or unclear thoughts. It can be accompanied by memory loss, disorientation, or the inability to think quickly. You ever been in such a faith struggle that confusion followed? Again, let let me just see how many of you have been there. Good number of you have been there. That's that struggle. That's that faith struggle between your flesh and your spirit. You have trouble processing your thoughts. So you believe even though you are afflicted. You believe even though the struggle is so real. It's tough. It is tough. The disciples were in that same boat. In John chapter 20, they were in the same exact situation. Let's go back there so you can see it. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. There's some confusion going on. The disciples had heard that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They knew of the resurrection. They knew of it from him. So they were fully aware that this was going to happen. But when it did, they were unprepared. There was a faith struggle going on that had led to confusion. It began with something as simple as Mary bringing the word to them. Because up to this point, major spiritual revelation seldom, if ever, came through women. Now, it may very well have come through women, but it was not accepted from women. So when Mary is the one bringing to them this news of the resurrection... It was confounding. At best, it was confounding. Because the rabbis used to say things like this. It is better for the words of the law to be burned than be delivered by a woman. So a woman comes with this announcement and they don't know what to do with it. Well, what they should have done was look for one of the great winks of God because God was on the move doing something really amazing. He was leveling the playing field and showing all of mankind that there's no separation. There is no class system. There is nothing to separate women from men. And he wanted to make sure that when he came out of the grave, he came out swinging not only with victory over our sin, but victory over that separation. So that's why women received that message first. Jesus was, Jesus was doing some teaching, and it was good teaching, leveling the playing field, teaching, to the point that the Apostle Paul would pick up on it with things like this. In Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring's heirs according to the promise. That was great news. And that's how Jesus chose to announce his resurrection. Announcing the truth of that passage. There's no separation anymore in Christ. There is no division. Grace covers everyone yet for the disciples there was still confusion they weren't sure what to make of all of this they weren't sure how to handle it the resurrection itself was difficult for them you heard it in john chapter 20 they knew of the resurrection but as of now they were still confused they couldn't think straight and the words that were coming out of the government weren't helping much Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 11, reminds us of this. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. People still believe that that's what happened. The disciples came and took the body of Jesus. There's a lot of confusion. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. So they believed, even though they were afflicted. Not sure what to do with that. There are mistakes that get made when we believe even though we are afflicted. Some of those mistakes come out of our mouths. We say things that we don't really mean. We say things audibly that we wish we could take back. You ever said something you didn't mean and wished you could take it back? Never. Nobody's ever done that. Even in our faith struggles to God, we say things we don't mean. Things like, I believed even though I was afflicted. Even though I couldn't see the victory, I was still believing. Well, interestingly, the psalmist, as he was struggling through all of his confusion and his affliction, did the same thing that we do, the same thing the apostles did, the same thing Mary did when they were faced with the resurrection, something that was confusing to them. We do the same exact things. We say things we wish we hadn't, but in Psalm 116, we find a wonderful truth. For believers, God judges the heart, not the words. Isn't that cool? God judges the heart, not the words. Go back to Psalm 116 with me and watch this. Starting in verse 2. Well, actually, we'll just start verse 6. We'll come back to verse 2. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. He saved me. At the lowest point of his life, when he was saying things like, I believed even though I was afflicted and his words weren't matching his faith, God preserved him. God took care of him. God covered those words with grace. And he still does. He still does. I am so glad that's the case. Again, the Apostle Paul would grab that teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, and through verse 5, he writes this. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So when you see people that are afflicted and their faith is wrestling, and you can actually tangibly, physically, visibly see that wrestling match, you be careful with your judgment because it's only God's that matters. And God looks at the heart of his children and he knows that sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we say the wrong things. And God says, I have a grace for that for those that believe. And he pours it out on us. And whew, whew, that just thrills my heart. Because sometimes when I believe even though I'm afflicted, like the psalmist, I say some things that I wish I hadn't even before God, I say some things I wish I hadn't. And God says, I'm looking at your heart, Phil. I'm not listening so close here. I'm looking at your heart. And God says, I got this. And he preserves the simple by helping us through those moments. That's what he did for the psalmist. That's what God did. When we see the psalmist response to his affliction, we have to look at God's response to the psalmist. And it is so plain to us in Psalm 116, if we will look for it. Verse 2, Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish, then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's the psalmist helping us understand God's response to him. When things looked so terrible, so hard, so difficult, God inclined his ear to the psalmist. You know what that means? To incline your ear to someone means to dial in and pay attention to what they're saying. Most of us have a few friends in our circle that will incline their ear to us when we need them to. And to incline your ear to another person says, I am listening and I want to give to you exactly what you need. If that is nothing more than my ear, I will give it to you. If you need something more than that and I can provide it, I will. To incline your ear to someone is to lean forward in the midst of the conversation, make direct eye contact with them and hear what they're saying to be that close to them that you're willing to do whatever needs to be done to help them through this situation. For the psalmist, God inclined his ear to him to the point that he could say, I will walk with the Lord in the land of the living. It's all right. I am not finished in this situation. This will not beat me. I will walk with the Lord in the land of the living because God inclined his ear to me and he heard me. Well, back in John 20, God inclined his ear to the disciples. He did the exact same thing and gave them what they needed. What they needed more than anything was proof of the resurrection. So when they got to the tomb, they got the proof. Let's go back there again. John chapter 20, verse 6. Well, verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. That's John. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes they saw an empty tomb. In the midst of their distress and their confusion, they saw an empty tomb. But when they looked closer, they saw direct proof of the resurrection. They saw the grave clothes. They saw them laying there in miraculous form. The clothes that he would have been wrapped in the, the body with or his body would have been wrapped with, still laying there in the shape of a body. But the headcloth, this is so curious was folded up neatly and laid away from it. How in the world did that happen? Well, it was not of this world. It was supernatural. It was supernatural. And they needed to see it in that moment in order to believe everything that Jesus had taught them. They needed to see an empty tomb and the grave clothes. So the Lord allowed them to. The Lord gave them that vision. He had inclined his ear to them and he let them see it. Oh man, what they saw when they did. I like the way Brian Chilton captures this. He says these two things they saw that the body was clearly resurrected, and they saw that the body would have had to come through the claws with the head wrapping. Now, pay close attention to how he expounds on that. The body was clearly resurrected. Something amazing must have taken place for the rolled head cloth to have been placed in a separate location than the other linens, for Jesus to have been able to escape the grave clothes without disturbing their form while at the same time rolling the cloth that had wrapped his head illustrates that Jesus experienced a greater and far different return to life than what Lazarus or anyone else ever had. Lazarus had to be unbound from the cloths that enclosed his body. You can read about that in John chapter 11. Jesus was able to return to life and leave behind the cloths without any assistance. Remarkable. When he says the body would have had to come through the cloths with the head wrapping, he says this. The other clothes lying there in the same place, in the same form that they had when they wrapped the body of Jesus, yet here was the head cloth. "'rolled up to the side, away from the other cloths. "'After the resurrection, Jesus rolled up the cloth like a scroll "'and laid it to the side before exiting the tomb. "'The resurrection of Jesus was an otherworldly event "'unlike anything anyone had before perceived. "'When Jesus resurrected from the dead, "'God used a new system of physics for this event, "'one that linked the spiritual and physical in an amazing new union.'" The power exhibited by the resurrection is greater than any power known to humankind. Paul notes that just as Jesus has risen from the dead, so shall all of those who have trusted Christ. The resurrection cleared up any confusion they may have had about who Jesus was. That's what it did for the disciples. John says as he's writing his own book, it was in that moment that he believed and his life was settled from that point forward. He knew what it would mean for him because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. You may have heard C.S. Lewis's statement about the resurrection before, but if not, here it is again. Without the resurrection, Jesus must have been a liar or a lunatic, not the Lord he claimed to be. Lewis goes on to say that through the power of the resurrection, belief follows because Jesus made the claims that he did it separated him out from any other wannabe small g god and as our god the resurrection is the proof that we need the only proof that we need to believe and to weather any storm that life may throw at us the resurrection is all we need The resurrection is the greatest miracle the world has ever experienced. It brought together the natural and the supernatural in such a way that it was so visible that John, when he got to the grave, he couldn't even go in. Peter ran into it. John stood back looking in there because something special had happened. And that's what the resurrection does for us. It brings some things to our life, things like this. The resurrection testifies to the forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. The resurrection reveals the defeat of sin, giving us access through Christ to God. The resurrection is the promise of what is to come for those who trust Jesus. The resurrection is our hope and peace. And the atoning work of Jesus is, is a declaration to all mankind that what Jesus did when he came out of the tomb changed everything. It was successful. It was not in vain. His death was not in vain because of the resurrection. And your life, listen, your life, pay close attention, your life as a believer in Jesus is not in vain because of the resurrection. And no matter what we face, because of that one event, eternity is settled for us. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Clears up any confusion we might ever have. No matter what we deal with, the resurrection clears up any confusion we might ever have. So that leaves this question. What do we do in light of that? When we see that type of grace poured out on us, what do we do? Well, John believed, according to John chapter 20. But I want you to see what the psalmist did. Psalm 116. Verse 12. He was asking the same question. What do I do now? Sounds like this. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. This is what the psalmist says. I will lift up the cup of salvation. It's a public declaration as well to everyone that will hear it. And if you were watching closely, you saw that the psalmist did that very thing. He made a public declaration. Verse 5, that truth is found in one tiny little word Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He was speaking to other people, and he lifted up the cup of salvation to say, this is what God has done for me. This is what God has done for me. This is how he brought me through it. This is how God sustained me. This is the grace that was poured out on me. This is how I weathered this storm. This is how I dealt with all of these people that were attacking me unto death. God delivered me and I will walk with him in the land of the living. This is the cup of salvation. He held it up in front of others to let them know. It is the exact same thing, my friends, that we do in communion. When we take communion together, we are lifting up the cup of salvation. And we are making a public declaration to everyone around us that God has saved us. There's a number of things that happen there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, we learn the depth of it. If you've worshiped with us or For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You lift up the cup of salvation. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Be careful how you do it. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Paul lets us know that when we take communion, when we lift up the cup of salvation, we are declaring what Jesus has done for us. We are declaring that our hope is not only in this life. Our hope is in what waits for us, But as for today, we will walk with the Lord in the land of the living. As long as I am alive, I will walk with the Lord. And to lift up the cup of salvation declares it. And the resurrection makes it possible. The resurrection brings it together. Without the resurrection, there is no declaration. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. But when the supernatural came together with the natural to show us an empty tomb and the grave laid out the way they were and the headcloth rolled up on its own and set over to the side, everything changed. Everything changed for all mankind and for each of us individually. Greatest miracle ever because it deals with our confusion. What do we believe about God? That he rose from the grave. What do we believe about Jesus? That he's the only one that ever has. What do we believe about God? That he loved me enough to do that for me. What do we believe about Jesus? That he willingly went to the cross and endured all of that punishment. So what does that mean for me? That my hope is in him. And if our hope is in the resurrection, then we can believe what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starting in verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is ours. That's the miracle of the resurrection. We're gonna continue on in John chapter 20, looking at the other things that we can learn from that passage that Tina read. Read over it this week. Read over it next week. Keep reading over it, over and over and over again. You keep reading John chapter 20 because there's a lot for us to learn from it. But right now, more than anything, I want you to hold on to this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and pray with us? Father, it's remarkable to me how rapidly you can move us from the morose to the celebratory. The resurrection does that for us. It's remarkable to me how we could look at something so daunting, something like death. The world sees it as an end. We see it as not even a beginning, just a part of our story with you. It's that moment where we get to see you face to face. The Bible promises it, but the Bible only promises it because you did. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for what they mean to us. Our hope is in you. In just a few moments, we will lift up the cup of salvation. Help us remember what that means. And for those that have yet to accept that, I pray that they'll pick up your gift today. I pray that they'll walk it all the way through to the baptistry. I pray that they will declare that from this point forward, They will walk with you in the land of the living until such a time that they see you face to face. And even then, the declaration will continue. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.